So we're in number seven, so if we don't get the slides, then I'll just talk slow on the blanks, and you can write them down. Uh, But we're on part seven of Under Authority, and so tonight, uh, last week, uh, you talked about Ahab with Pastor Tony. The week before, we talked about Asa. Tonight, we'll be talking about Asa's son, Jehoshaphat. Uh, We'll be talking about Asa's son, Jehoshaphat. So as we've gone through the study, the resounding theme of the entire study has been that God uh, has allowed and caused, and sometimes at the same time, uh, people to be in leadership. And so, you know, without getting into the current cultural situations that we're in, God allows and God causes people to be in positions of authority, that all authority under heaven is given by God to whoever he's given authority. And so all of us are under some type of authority on earth, and of course, ultimately, everyone is under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the kings in the Old Testament were no different. So we started out with the, uh, Saul, the first king of Israel, and uh, Saul wasn't necessarily ready to be king, and Israel didn't need to have a physical king, and so we explored all of that. And so as we've gone through all of this, you've seen that some have been really good. Uh, some have done a great job. Asa is another example of that. Tonight, Jehoshaphat uh, is deemed to have been the godliest of all of the kings of Judah. And so we'll see some things uh, that he did really well. We will not be in chronological order of his life tonight because I want to end on a good note. And so we're going to talk about a couple things that he didn't do well. And then we're going to talk about something that he did really well. And uh, then we'll draw it into ourselves. And so Jehoshaphat did a great job. Now, if you study, and I think we've mentioned this a couple times over the past few weeks, if you study the history of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, Israel's the ten tribes, Judah is the two tribes, uh, Benjamin and Judah. And so as you study the history of those, you'll come to find out that Israel didn't have any godly kings. After Solomon, there were zero godly leadership in Israel. Another thing that as I was studying this week and correlated the things together (coughs) is that the nation of Israel had very, very few prophets Very few prophets. Most of the prophets that God sent were to the southern kingdom of Judah. And so as we get into our study tonight, we'll be in 2 Chronicles chapter 17 for space reasons. Uh, You will not have uh, all of the words that we'll be reading tonight. They are on your page. And if I reference it, that is not a part of our study tonight, but is a reference to our study. It's at the very end of your handout. Uh, So if you do have your Bible or you'd like to use a pew Bible, you can read word for word what I'll be reading here tonight, but for space reasons, that is not on your page. So we'll be in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, and we're going to begin in verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 17, we'll begin in verse 1. The Bible says, Jehoshaphat, his son, which again is Asa's son, reigned in Asa's place, so he followed Asa. And strengthened himself against Israel. Now, this is important. So, again, Israel and Judah are now two different nations, so to speak. And so, they are often at war with each other. And Jehoshaphat has strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that Asa his father had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat, which is a very, very good thing. Amen? Because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. And so, of course, David was not his father. David was uh, on down the lineage of 
Jehoshaphat. Uh, but Jehoshaphat followed after the same principles, which we'll talk about at the end, and the same philosophy theologically that David did. And so Jehoshaphat sought to please God. He did not seek the Baals, uh, which last week Pastor Tony talked about Ahab, and Israel was full of Baal worship during the reign of Ahab. But he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Now, if you'll remember back when we studied Asa, if not, you can go to the website and look under, under authority. Uh, and all these series are on there. But when we studied Asa, we talked about Asa growing up in a family that did not have godliness. Right? We talked about how Asa didn't sit on his father or grandfather's knee and learn about uh, the theological things that God intended for him to know. He didn't know that God was good. He didn't know that God provided. He didn't know that God would guide. And so Jehoshaphat is the opposite of that. Remember, Asa was godly, a godly king. And so what happened in Jehoshaphat's life, and Jehoshaphat reigned uh, for 30, let's see, he was 35 when he started reigning, and he reigned for 25 years. So he didn't begin to reign until he was 35 years old. So what that tells us is that he was certainly old enough to know and to remember and to recognize the things that God did in Asa's life. And so he was present during all of that. He followed after Asa, and he began to see all of the things that God did in his father's life and that he was a part of. And surely Asa recounted those things to Jehoshaphat as he was growing up. So now we see him getting to uh, age 35, and he becomes king of Judah. All right, so let's see here. So with king of Judah, he now has the opportunity to be the same as what his father was, to lead the same way as his father led. And so here he is, 35 years old. He's considered one of the godliest kings that Judah ever had, and he is the first king of both Israel and Judah to institute a system of religious instruction for the people. And so what Asa, I'm sorry, what Jehoshaphat decided to do is he wanted to make sure <coughs> that not just uh, the upper leadership of the country of Judah knew about God, he wanted everyone to know about God. And so here's what he did, Second Chronicles 17 Picking up in verse 7, in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, and they all have lots of interesting names, and he sent them to teach in the cities of Judah, and he sent the Levites, which are the priests, also to do that, and the Levites and the priests, uh, Elishama and Jehoram, and they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. And so basically, they had this crusade of information throughout Judah. And this was all by the doing of Jehoshaphat. And so what Jehoshaphat wanted to do is he wanted to go out, he wanted everyone to know. He wanted everyone to receive the good news of who Jehovah God was. And so the first blank, I believe, on your handout says he established teaching seminars. He established teaching seminars for the people. Is that right? Is that the first one? All right, so he established teaching seminars. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to instruct those uh, that were around, all around the country that they would have access to what God intended for them to do. So again, Jehoshaphat is not just interested in personal edification. 
He's interested in other people knowing. And so this goes into distinctiveness. As, as a matter of fact, part of what Jehoshaphat did, as we've been studying on Sunday mornings, is he did a lot of things that we've been talking about. We talked about distinct evangelism. We talked about distinct worship. We're going to go through a little, bit, a little bit of that here in a second. And so Jehoshaphat exhibited distinctiveness in his life. And it was partially, part of that was in him uh, making sure that everyone had access to the things of God. So we pick up now in chapter 18. It says, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. He made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Now, who would do that? When I read that, I thought to myself, wait a minute, right? Who, who would do that? After all you learned last week with Ahab and his codependence, and of course, we all know about Mount Carmel and, you know, the 400 Baal prophets. We know all about, you know, everything that happened with Elijah. And then here, Jehoshaphat is king of the south. Ahab is king of the north, and he goes to make a marriage alliance with Ahab. And so basically, he got his son, which interestingly enough, had the same name as Ahab, they both named their kids the same thing. And so Jehoram is the name. And so they named the, their boys the same thing. Well, he took his son and had a marriage alliance with Ahab's daughter. And so after some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him and induced him to go against Ramoth Gilead. Now, just like with Asa, Asa had great, uh, vastly, greatly expanded his kingdom, Asa's kingdom. So now, Jehoshaphat is the recipient of this giant kingdom. Now, Ahab realizes that Judah, if we ever go to battle, is going to smash us. God has favored them. If you'll remember with Asa, what happened is that God was working so much in the nation of Judah that people from the north, <coughs> excuse me, remember, were defecting to the south. Remember that? And so they began to defect to the south. And so their army continued to grow and to grow and to grow. And it's believed that under Jehoshaphat that their army was twice the size of what it was under Asa. Now, if people were running and leaving country to join Asa's army when it was small, imagine the fear that Ahab now would have when now it is over twice the size and Jehoshaphat is the leader. So, of course... When Jehoshaphat comes into town, what does Ahab do? Hey, come on in, man. Let me show you all the wonderful things that I can do for you. Let me serve you. Let me give you whatever you want. And so basically what he's trying to do is to butter him up. And so he killed a bunch of sheep and a bunch of, a bunch of oxen. And uh, it says, and for the people who were with him, so not only uh, for Jehoshaphat, but for all of his entourage, and he induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. And so what happened is Ramoth-Gilead had taken some territory from Israel that they wanted. And so Ahab thought, well, I can't win it myself, so if I get Judah to go with me, we can take it back. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? Now, you and I, thousands of years later, hear all the atrocious things that happened in Israel under the kingship of Ahab and his wife Jezebel, right? We, we're familiar with that. There's, you know, even uh, people who aren't in church are familiar with Jezebel and, you know, some of the terminology with that. So I say all that to say this, Jehoshaphat knew Ahab's character, right? But yet, here's what he says. Look what he says here in the very next verse. He said, he answered him. So Ahab says, hey, will you go with me? And Jehoshaphat says, I am as you are, my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. Now here's Matt's summation of that. 
what I think about Jehoshaphat is I think Jehoshaphat liked for people to like him. You know, uh, Pastor Tony talked about Ahab last week, and he was codependent and that uh, he was a passive husband, and he let Jezebel run the ship, right? Well, I think that Jehoshaphat is a people pleaser. And I think he wants to please God, but I think he also wants to make everybody around him happy. Okay, and so he says, hey, man, we're just like you. We're, we do the same things that you do. And so the first thing that I want us to see tonight is that there is a danger in pursuing peace. So the next blank on your handout, there is a danger in pursuing peace at the expense of principle. The danger of pursuing peace at the expense of principle. You see, we cannot compromise morality in pursuit of harmony. We cannot compromise morality in pursuit of harmony. So many people in our world today, we've, we've got into this non-offense society, right? And so we don't want to offend anybody. So we can't say anything bad or we can't hold anybody accountable or we can't say something that may upset them because we live in this non-offense society. And so what's happened in our world at, in pursuit of harmony... In pursuit of peace, what's happened is that we've let our principles go to the side, right? You think about the people that we've, and I don't want to get into a political conversation, but you think about in the last several years the candidates that we've had to vote for. And what has been the comment? It's the lesser of the two evils, right? That's what we've said. Well, I have to vote for him because he's not as bad as him. When did we stop voting on principle? Right, And so what's happened in our world and what happened with Jehoshaphat is he wanted, in his mind, he envisioned Israel and Judah being friends again. He envisioned Israel being one, right? Judah and Israel together, all 12 tribes back together. And he wanted peace. He wanted peace, which is a good thing. Look, it's not bad that he wanted them to be together. But what is bad is what he began to do is he began to compromise in order for that to take place. You see, in an effort to bring about unity, he went with King Ahab. And he said, brother, we are the same. I am like you and you are like me. You see, unfortunately in our world today, the only way that unity with the world can be achieved is by sacrificing and compromising truth. We are, the Bible talks about being unequally yoked, believer and unbeliever. And so what happened is Jehoshaphat went into this alliance with Ahab, and Ahab is clearly not a follower of God, and clearly Jehoshaphat is. You see, in 1 Kings chapter 16, the Bible says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Again, do you not think that Jehoshaphat knew that? And yet he made this alliance with King Ab. And so what did he say? He said, hey, yes, I am as you are. My people are as your people. We, would, we will be with you in the war. But the problem with that comment is that they were not the same. You see, the people of Judah were worshipers of only Jehovah God. God was very clear that he was to be worshipped and him alone. You read in Isaiah uh, 45, God sends uh, the prophet Isaiah and God says, there is no other God, I am the only one true God. And he says it for like 30 verses through the prophet Isaiah. And so God is very clear that he is not allowing other worship, that only God and Jehovah God should be worshipped. Now Israel, on the other hand, is full of Baal worshippers. 
They don't follow after Jehovah God. And so there is this great danger that Jehoshaphat is putting him and the nation of Judah in by aligning himself with someone who doesn't follow God. Now, rhetorical question here. Have you ever had a friend who didn't follow after God? And everyone said yes. Okay? And so what happened when you made an alliance or you had this partnership with that person and you had, you had a, a situation to where you had to make a decision based on principle. I'll tell you what happened. That person made a decision based on emotion and you made a decision based on principle and likely they were not the same. And this is what Jehoshaphat is getting himself into. You see, the difference when we align, and, and I know what you're thinking, so you're saying, okay, well, hang on a second. Just a couple weeks ago, we talked about distinct uh, evangelism, and we talked about how as believers that we're supposed to go into the world, right? We're supposed to be amongst the world. We're supposed to take the gospel to the world. How can we take the gospel to the world? How can we take the gospel to the world if we are not amongst lost people, not amongst people who don't follow Jesus, right? That's the question I would ask. That's the question I asked when I got to this point in preparing the message. How can we be people of God in the midst of people who do not follow God and yet not have an alliance with people who do not follow God? Great question. The answer is, the next blank on your handout, the difference between aligning with unbelievers and the difference between evangelizing unbelievers is dependence. The difference is dependence. You see, when you come to depend upon when you come to depend upon people who do not follow after God, that's the difference in aligning and evangelism. You see, we talked about in distinct evangelism that it's our terminology that's caused us to not be as effective as what God has called us to be, right? We said that instead of sharing our faith, that we should proclaim our faith, right? We should declare our faith. And when we declare or when we proclaim our faith, what happens in our life is that we, it's not contingent on whether or not you believe it or receive it. If I go to my brother Nathan and I say, let me tell you what God's done in my life, and he says, well, that's not true, does it change what God did in my life? Absolutely not. And so when we come to depend upon people who are not following God, what happens is we have made an alliance with them, and we are in danger. And so Jehoshaphat says, okay, well, before we get into this, and I'm giving you the summary version because it's a lot of Scripture tonight. He says, before we get into this, what I want you to do is I want you to inquire, and I want you to ask your prophets what God says. And so what he did is he went out and he asked Ahab to bring in all of his prophets to tell them what God wanted them to say. And so he said, okay, well, bring them all in. So Ahab brought in 400 of his prophets to declare what the word of God was for them to do. And what did the prophets do? Well, they did anything a corrupt nation would do. They would tell the leader what the leader wanted to hear, right? And so that's exactly what the 400 prophets did. They came in and they said, Ahab, if you attack Ramoth Gilead with Judah, you will be successful. All 400 of them declared the same thing. One of them, as a matter of fact, was so definitive about them having victory that he made some uh, ram horns, and he said this is indicative of the victory that Israel will have, which was a lie. It was not true. And so 
Jehoshaphat, again being a godly person, said, well, wait a minute, Um, that doesn't settle well with me. Is there anyone else in the kingdom that's a prophet? And so Ahab, and you can go back and read it in in 2 Chronicles, he goes back and he says, is there anybody else in the kingdom that's a prophet? And Ahab said, yeah, there is. It's a guy that doesn't like me. His name's Micaiah. And so they said, well, bring Micaiah. And so Micaiah comes in, and before Micaiah comes to the table, they tell Micaiah, tell the king what all the 400 other people said. So they didn't say, tell us what God says. They said, agree with everybody else. Does that sound familiar today? Just say what everybody else is saying? You see how this alliance becomes so dangerous that it becomes this uniformity that we must all do what everyone accepts? It's the same thing. And so Micaiah comes in, and Ahab said, should we go to war with Ramoth Gilead? And he said, yes. And Ahab says, now you're lying to me. I mean, how fascinating is this story? And so Ahab said, I don't believe you. It's not true. And so he said, tell us the truth. And so Micaiah says, okay, look, if you go to war with Ramoth Gilead, not only will you lose, you will die. So he gives them this warning. Ahab, if you go into battle, you're going to lose. And Ahab gets mad about it, and the prophet that made the ram horn slaps Micaiah in the face. You can read it in Scripture. He slaps him in the face and said, how dare you speak against King Ahab? And King Ahab said, or so Micaiah said, okay, well, not only is Ahab going to die, so are you. And so, I mean, this story is fascinating. And so here's this story of all these people that agree and Micaiah gets slapped in the face for telling the truth. And yet, so, so what King Ahab says is, he says, well, here's what we'll do. We're going to put you in jail. And we're going to give you meager rations until I come back. And uh, Micaiah said, okay, well, if you come back, then I was wrong, right? That's all he could do was tell the truth. And the Bible tells us, and you can go back and read it. And so the Bible tells us that what happened. So the question is, why did 400 prophets tell him the same thing? And so the Bible tells us, so what happens is, the Bible gives us a little indication into what happens with God and his sovereignty. And so the Bible says that uh, Ahab had been given chance after chance after chance. Again, this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you can go read it. And so what happened is, God said, how am I going to teach Ahab a lesson? And so there's this question in heaven. And uh, an evil spirit comes up and says, I know what we'll do. I'll put, a lying, uh, I'll put a lie in the mouths of all of his prophets. And so the evil spirit planted a lie in the mouths of all of the prophets. And Micaiah is telling them, they said, well, how are you right and everybody else is wrong? And he said, well, here's what God said. And so he tells this story about how God allowed this lying spirit to deceive Ahab. Okay, you can go back and read it in Chronicles chapter 20. And so what God did is he chose to use a lying spirit because Ahab had rejected all of the rebukes and all of the warnings all of his life. And now it's time for the wrath of God to be fulfilled. Since God is sovereign, I know your question is, now wait a minute, time out. And I don't want to skip over this without having clarity. Why in the world would God allow evil to be a part of the story? Right? What some people may even say, why would God use evil to be a part of the story? That's a question that we would have at this point in the story, right? Well, what I want to be clear about is God is sovereign over everything. Over everything. So whether it be good or evil, evil being predicated by sin, whether it be good or evil, God is in control of that. 
The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that all things, not most things, not just good things, not just things under submission to the Lordship of Jesus, all things are under the authority of God and work out according to his will. And so what God did is he used evil that was the evil of the lying spirit to accomplish his purposes. You see, all of creation is under the authority of God, and God uses and chooses to use both good and evil to bring about his divine plans. And so Micaiah comes, tells them what God said. They don't listen. And so at this point, God had already warned Ahab, if you go into battle, you will die. He didn't listen. And so Micaiah goes to jail. Ahab and Jehoshaphat, surprisingly, go off to battle. Now here, let's pause for just a second in the story, and let's ask ourselves this question. Next blank in the handout. It does no good to seek God if we are not following him. It does no good to seek God if we will not follow him. So in other words, translate it into you and me today. If you ask God, God, what do you want me to do with no intention of doing it, why did you ask? Right? In our world, so many times, we want to blame God for everything, and we want to nitpick, well, how could God use evil? And we want to micromanage the things of God, and yet we're not doing the simple things that God has uh, commanded us to obey. Right? So the question is, it doesn't do any good to do it. So I want to give us a little litmus test here. So the first, the first thing is on your handout here. There's three different things that I want you to think about. These are the three ways that we can respond to what God has in store for us. So the first one says this, I don't seek God because I'm afraid of what he may say. I don't seek God because I'm afraid of what he may say. Now that may be some people in the room tonight. You say, I don't ask God what he wants me to do because I'm afraid he may tell me to do something I don't want to do. Right? When is the last time that you wrote a blank check to God? When's the last time you had an open-ended question to God? God, what do you want me to do? God, what part in, in this situation do you want me to play? What role would you have me to be a part of in this situation? Because what do we do? We run to comfort and we run away from discomfort. We run to preference and we run, run away from things that we don't like, right? That's what all of us do the same thing. And so when is the last time we said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. God, you want me to go uh, on mission in September? Do you want me to go to the Navajo? God, do you want me to walk across the street and serve my neighbor, the one that I don't like? Is that what you want me to do, God? You see, so oftentimes we don't ask God what he wants us to do because we know he's going to ask us to do something, and we want to choose what we do. We want to be in control. You see, Ahab, Jehoshaphat, they asked God what he wanted them to do, and then they did what they wanted to do. Every one of us are guilty of that. So the second thing, not only are there those of us who seek God, uh, don't do it because we're afraid. Number two, I seek God because I know I'm supposed to. So I do it because I know it's right, but I still make the final decision. God, I'm still going to do what I want to do. I just want to appease you because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. There's people in the room who do this. You say, God, I'll do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to pray, so I go through the motions. I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, so I go through the motions. I know I'm supposed to pray for your will to be done. So I do that with zero intention, God, of actually doing what I don't want to do. Oh, I'll do everything that I like to do, God. 
I'll sit in a 70-degree room on a padded pew when it's convenient for me. I'll love my neighbor if I like them, but I'm not going to do what you call me to do that I don't like to do. We're all guilty of this, every one of us. And so we say, well, I'm not going to ask you, God, because I'm afraid of what you might say. Number two, I'm going to ask you, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. Or number three, I will pursue God no matter what he tells me to do or where he tells me to go. You see, that's the blank check right there. God, what do you want me to do? God, where, you, where do you want me to go? What, what do you want me to be a part of, God? Whose life do you want me to be an influence in? You see, Corinthians says the promises of God are found in yes. The promises of God are found in yes. So the answer is yes before the question is asked. You see, that's what faith is. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jehoshaphat, Ahab, they had faith in themselves. Ahab had faith in the size of Judah's army combined with Israel's army. You see, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said this, Luke 6, 46, it's on the bottom of your handout. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? <coughs> Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord. See, you can say one thing and not mean it. You can say one thing and not do it. And so Jesus asked the question, the same question he would, God would say to both Jehoshaphat, who is calling him Jehovah God, Jehoshaphat, why do you call me Lord, and yet you don't obey me? You see, Ahab had no real desire to know real truth, and he was very open to deception. He was only interested in hearing what he wanted to hear. Now, let me give you some uh, New Testament context here. In 2 Thessalonians, and uh, the reference is on the bottom of your handout. 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes this, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word, listen, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. How many religions today are built upon the foundation of Jesus has already come, right? If you study the history of religion, 1914 is a very popular date, right? There's some, there's some belief systems that Jesus established his reign in 1914. But that's opposite of what Scripture teaches us. You can study so many other religious systems, and they're predicated based upon what? The new written word that is in contradiction to this word. And Paul writes, listen, if you get a letter that seems to be from us, if somebody tells you something, this is what he said, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will, will not come, so the coming of Jesus, unless, and he goes through all of the things that will happen. He says, don't remember, uh, do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things. He says, you know what is restraining him, so now that he may be revealed, which is Jesus in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. And so he says, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe, this is verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, 
that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Is that not amazing? The same things happen 2,000 years ago, happened uh, 100 years ago, continues to happen day after day after day. Is what? People standing up and proclaiming things about God that aren't true about God. And here's all these prophets standing before Ahab declaring things about God that aren't true about God. And what does he do? He believes them. And so they come up with this plan. Again, you can read the rest of it. So Ahab tells Jehoshaphat, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you wear my robes? If you knew that you were, if you and your friend were somewhere and your friend was the target, would you put your friend's clothes on? And so here's Jehoshaphat and Ahab going to battle, and Jehoshaphat agrees. Again, doesn't make any sense. And Jehoshaphat gets the king's robes, and he puts them on, and they both get in a chariot. Okay, one of my favorite parts of Scripture. And so they go out into battle. Well, all of Syria says, only kill the king. Don't kill anybody else, just the king. And so they all barrage this chariot, and guess who's in the chariot? Not Ahab. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's in the chariot. And so Jehoshaphat's like, time out, guys, time out. Time, it's like I played paintball uh, with the kids at Center Kid last week. And when they all started barraging us all at one time, we're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I didn't sign up for this. And so Syria says, it's not Ahab, let him go. And the Bible says, one of the most amazing scriptures. So the Bible talks about this, this battle. And so here is Ahab wanting to do what Ahab wants to do. And here's Jehoshaphat agreeing to do that. And for some reason, he believed what Ahab's prophets had said. And so the next blank, it's easy to believe what we want to believe, but it's very difficult to believe truth. You see, Jehoshaphat wanted to believe that what the prophets were saying were true. You see, it would have been very difficult in that moment for Jehoshaphat to say, you know what, my discernment meter's going off, and uh, no, we're not going, we're backing out. Then guess what would have happened? There'd been this confrontation between Ahab and Jehoshaphat, which goes back to our original point, that when we pursue harmony at the uh, expense of principles, you see what happens here? So now Jehoshaphat's in harm's way because he did what he wanted to believe. Ahab did what he wanted to believe. Truth was very difficult in that moment. And, and let me just say this. Truth is always difficult. 100% of the time. It's never, truth has never been popular. It's not just today. You see, often for us, and here's the drill in for us this, this afternoon. The principle for us is this. Often we allow people around us or our family who, who we know, listen to me here, this is very important, who we know that don't follow God, but yet for the sake of keeping peace, we don't say anything. Listen to me, this will convict you. It's convicting for me, this, I'm just why I'm sharing with you. We have to be careful who we let into our lives. you got to be careful who you let in your family's life. Listen, there's people in your family that don't follow after God, and you allow your children to be around those people. There's people in your neighborhood, there's people in your circle of friends that are not pursuing God, and what you're doing for the sake of harmony, 
What you're doing is you're allowing your family to be exposed to those things. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Here's the question I want you to answer. Where is the line? This is the next blank on your handout. Where is the line in your life? Where is it that you say, okay, you've gone far enough, evil. You've gone far enough, ungodliness. And so now I draw the line. Is it when someone gets hurt? Is it when your child learns something that they should have never had exposed ears to and then you have to go back and clean the mess up? Is that when you stop it? Where's the line at? And so what Jehoshaphat did is he exposed the entire nation of Judah to Ahab and his army. Only God knows the conversations that were had in the foxholes of that war. You see what I'm saying? And so when we allow people into our lives that have alliance and influence that are not following God, we are exposing ourselves to dangerous things. Where is the line with your family? Let me ask you this question. How about television? Where's the line? How many cuss words does it take before you say that's enough? Right? If you say, oh, it was, what if you came to church and you went home and they said, you know, your neighbor's like, hey, how was church? It was great. The pastor only cussed three times today. <laughs> we say that about movies, don't we? Oh, it wasn't that bad. There was only three or four cuss words in it. Oh, it was only a couple scenes that were bad. It wasn't that bad. What you allow into your eyes goes into your mind and attaches to your heart. What are you doing with it? What about movies? What about words and actions that other people say and you see or your family sees? You see, there's a line somewhere in your life. I don't know where it is. For some of you, it's flexible. But there's a line in your life. And there's people in your life that don't pursue God. Remember, the difference in alliance and evangelism is dependence. And there's people in your life that are not pursuing God. And they're influencing you and they're influencing your family. There must be principles in your life that you abide by. There's got to be boundaries that you say, these fences are for my protection. Jehoshaphat put him and himself and his nation in harm's way because of that. But God was present. And so the Bible says, and I love this, I love this uh, verse. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 33, but... But a certain man drew his bow at random. So these guys are out fighting, and a man in the Syrian army reaches back. You know, I'm just imagining they're like, um, you know, he, he, he's, maybe he's new in battle. I don't know. And so all he's doing is bending over, picking up arrows. He just, he's just lighting them. I mean, just boom, 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 letting them go. And it says, a certain man drew his bow at random. And he struck the king of Israel, which is Ahab, between the scale of his armor and his breastplate. So right here, between his breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. So Ahab, in a random act, random act, right? Quotations. In a random act, God shoots an arrow. And so look what Ahab did. He wore somebody else's clothes. He took another nation to battle. He hid in an average or general warrior's uh, situation or chariot, and still the arrow found him. So he goes over to the side. He ends up bleeding out and dying. The nation of Syria wins the battle. And so because of this alliance, Jehoshaphat almost dies. And 
Because of this alliance with Ahab, again, you can go back and read, he allows his son to marry the daughter, and the son, uh, they get into this almost Jezebel-like situation, and he tries to eradicate the family of Jehoshaphat, which would eradicate the nation of Judah, which is the line of Jesus, by the way. The Bible says Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers, was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the the sons of Jehoshaphat. And it says in verse 4, when Jehoram had descended the throne of his father and was established, he killed all of his brothers with the sword and also some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. Yet the Lord, verse 7, was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever, which is Jesus, by the way. So because of this alliance that Jehoshaphat made with Ahab, he almost, almost eradicated the nation of Judah. And were it not for the sovereignty of God, he would have. You see, there are so many places in Scripture that say, but God. But God. You re- we read Jonah last week in D group. It says, but Jonah, verse 3. And then it says, uh, you know, he went and found a ship and paid the fare. And then in verse 4, chapter 1, it says, but God. Right? But God. And so the danger, the danger that we see in Jehoshaphat's life of sacrificing principle for harmony. It's dangerous. Number two, the danger of pursuing wealth at the expense of worldliness. The danger of pursuing wealth at the expense of worldliness. So, you know, we're again, I mentioned we're not in chronological order here. And so then we see uh, Jehoshaphat compromise his ethics for personal gain. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 35, it says, After this, Jehoshaphat, uh, king of Judah, joined with uh, Azahiah, the king of Israel, which is the son of Ahab, who acted wickedly. Well, of course he did. Look at his dad. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish. Sound familiar? And they built the ships, and it says that Eleazar, the son, uh, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you have joined with Ahazah, it says the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. Now, let me give you a little context on this. Remember our point number two, the danger of pursuing wealth at the expense of worldliness. Or said another way, compromising ethics for personal gain. So what happened is, Jehoshaphat knew the history of Israel and Judah. Of course he did, right? Well, these ships that he wanted to build were the same ships that Solomon used to amass over $200 million, this trade route that he wanted to use, uh, amass over $200 million in their, in their money. I mean, that is an incredible amount of wealth. And so what Jehoshaphat decided he would do is, well, let's do the same thing. You see, it was an attempt to renew the old gold trade that Solomon used. But God loved Jehoshaphat too much to allow him to prosper in yet another mistaken alliance. Look where the ships are going. Tarshish. Now, if you read the story of Jonah, do you know how far Joppa is from Tarshish? It's 3,000 miles. Do you know how far Nineveh is from from, uh, Joppa? 300 miles. 
And so here, there's this parallel of Tarshish and and wanting to use it. Jonah wants to go to Tarshish, and Jehoshaphat wants to go to Tarshish. You see, the allure of the world to get the things that the world promises in pursuit or at the expense of ethics is never profitable. You see, this is where Jonah wanted to go from to flee from the presence of God. And so the, the principle here for us is this, the next blank. There have to be absolutes in our lives that we live by regardless of the benefits or the consequences to our lives. Again, it goes back to the principles. What are you standing for? You see, so many times in our life we'll turn a blind eye if we benefit from it. If we benefit from it. I remember I had a job years ago, and uh, they kept meeting at a questionable place, and I didn't want to go, and I kept saying, hey, is there any way we could not meet here? No, we have to. Uh, So I said, well, I really don't want to meet there. I just don't feel like I should do that. So what if I offer an alternative? What if I fund the meeting? What if I pay for the catering? What if I rent the building? I mean, I was doing everything that I could do to try to create a peaceful situation and the answer was no and you have to be there so guess what I did I didn't go guess what I did I quit my job because to me principles matter and the benefit to me it doesn't supersede the principle and so I sat down with my boss and said hey look this is what I I live by absolutes in my life and I'm not agreeing to do this. I understand that it's what you choose to do, and you're the boss, and what you say goes. But I also have a decision in the matter. I offered an alternative, and y'all chose not to use it, and so I'm turning in my resignation. I will not be at the meeting, and I will no longer be employed by this company. And I turned my resignation in because it wasn't what I felt God had called me to do as a believer and as a follower of God. And I had, a, I had a choice in that moment. Now, had I gone to that meeting, would it have mattered to anyone else? Probably not. Would anyone have noticed or said anything about it? Probably not. But you know what I would have to do the rest of my life? Live with that decision. That I did something that was against what I know God has called me to stand for. You see, we can't allow the benefit of whatever the decision may be. And it's the same with Jehoshaphat. He thought to himself, now Solomon, this guy had some cash. And if we can get involved in the same things he was involved in, how can we do that? Oh, I know Ahab's son. He's got some connections. I'll go talk to him. And God said, no, you're not going to do that. The Bible says that actually the ships were destroyed before they were even able to, uh, to be launched. And so what God did is he stopped what what he thought was good for himself, Jehoshaphat, from happening. And so we see this trend now all of a sudden in Jehoshaphat's life, right? Is that he wanted harmony at the expense of these principles. So then the last thing, and you say, well, I thought you said Jehoshaphat was a good guy. I thought you said he followed after God. Well, he did. And I want to end with uh, the principle of Jehoshaphat in that the reward for pursuing God. So we've seen the dangers Now here's the reward. The Bible says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, uh, and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid, verse 3, and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now remember, why are they doing this? Because remember what Jehoshaphat did. He taught everybody about the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord. So he's leading the nation in corporate worship. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and built for you a a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Israel, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against you. And then he famously says, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So here's Jehoshaphat. He hears about this giant battle coming to him. And they had come around a secret way to try to, you know, uh, secret attack them. And so this messenger comes to Jehoshaphat and he says, hey, we're about to have a big battle and there's a lot of people. And so the Bible says that Jehoshaphat was afraid in verse 3. So next blank on your handout says that fear is a common emotion, and it is not sinful. So let's rewind. Remember we talked about asking God what he wants us to do, seeking God, pursuing God, and then doing, right? I'll I'll pursue God. I ask God uh, his guidance because I'm willing to do what he wants me to do and to go where he wants me to go. Remember we said that? Or I don't ask God what he wants me to do because I'm afraid of what he'll tell me. You see, when we talk about fear, Jehoshaphat says, hey, I'm afraid. Following God sometimes can involve fear, right? That, God, I don't know what you want me to do. God, I'm afraid of what the outcome is, but I trust you. That's what Jehoshaphat is saying here. He says, God, there's an army out there that if you don't show up, every one of us, our lives are going to end. But God, you are the God of Israel, God, you have brought us this far. And so he starts recounting all of the things that God had done in his life. You see, living with conviction can be very scary. Do you think when I quit that job that it wasn't scary? That I I didn't know what the future was. I didn't know how things would work out. I didn't know where I would be employed. But I knew who God was. And I knew what the standard of holiness was and what God has called us to. And so it is okay to be afraid when you're living for conviction. You see, fear is not the determiner of your actions. Listen, it is not the determiner of your actions. We get to decide what we do with that emotion. 
We get to decide that. You see, in, in Psalms 56, 3, the Bible says, when I am afraid, what will I do? I will trust in you. So when we say, you know what, I'm going to live by convictions. I'm going to stand on the Word of God and what God has called me to do. What does he do here in this story? He does not call Ahab. He calls God. And he beckons to God. He says, God, we know. We know not what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so what he did is he took it to God. We don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are on you. So next blank says that he professed their utter dependence upon God to move. Listen, when you pursue God based on God's word, and when you base your actions based on the conviction of God's word, what you're declaring is your utter dependence upon God. And is it scary? Yes. Yes, it is. Is it hard? Yes. Will it be easy? No. Will it be uncomfortable? No. Yes, it won't be comfortable all the time, right? Now, God never said that it would be easy. God never said that it would be comfortable. And so he professed his utter dependence upon God. And then what did he do? The next verse says this. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord. So Jehoshaphat gets up and says, hey, we're all about to die unless God shows up. So we should pray. And so he leads this national prayer, right? The whole nation of, of Judah is praying to God. And so he declares their utter dependence upon God. And their response is, okay, everybody go inside and get pickaxes and shovels and hammers, what swords, whatever you can find. And here's what we're going to do. I want the strongest up front. No, they didn't devise a strategy. He didn't say, okay, um, there's no way we can win, and so let's go on the other side of town and hide until they all leave. They didn't run. No, look what they did. They stood. And look who stood with them. Everybody. Their little ones, their wives, their children, which tells me that they had spiritual credibility in their family's lives. Because Jehoshaphat prayed, and the entire, it says, all of Judah stood. They waited. They said, God, we know unless you move that nothing good will come from this. And so then they said, God, would you move? And they waited. Now, is that what we do? The next blank on your handout says they waited. Is that what we do? God, we need you to do something. God, I've got this financial situation in my life. God, I've got this problem in my life. God, I've got this relational situation. God, I desperately need you to move. God, I'm waiting on you to move. Do we do that? Or do we say, God, I've got this financial, relational problem, whatever, so on and so forth. God, I need you to do something. But if you don't do it, I'm going to run over here and start working on it just in case you decide not to. Right? Isn't that what we do? God, to please do something. God, please. Oh, but if you decide not to, I'm going to go over here and have a plan B. We all do that. You see, the reward for pursuing God and God alone, I don't want you to miss this tonight, is waiting. It's waiting. They declared their utter dependence upon God because they meant it. 
You see, often in our lives, we declare dependence upon God, and then we have a plan B or a plan C, right? But they said, God, we're going to die if you don't show up. God, please show up. God, please do something, God. Please show up. We're going to be here waiting, God, because we believe in you. And just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and just like Daniel, God, if you don't show up, God, we still believe in you as Jehovah God, but we really, really want you to show up. And they waited. John Piper says there's actually something happening when we wait while nothing is happening. That God uses our waiting to change us. He uses our waiting to change us. You see, waiting on God, waiting on the Lord is the opposite of running ahead of God. It is the opposite of bailing out on God. It's staying in your appointed place until God says go. It's staying. We sing songs, I'm waiting here for you with my hands lifted high, singing hallelujah. I'm waiting here for you, God. Oh, I'll be over here working if you need me. Oh, but I'm waiting here for you, God. I'm waiting here for you. Waiting. Now, I know this is 2021, and everything is drive through right? People work at home now, you don't even drive to work. It's 2021, everything's drive through culture. Everything's fast food culture. Everything's right now culture. But yet the Bible said in Psalms chapter 27 verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Word for word, Psalm 27, 14. So what in your life do you need to wait for? What problem do you have in your life that you're trying to fix that you depend upon God to fix? What is it? God, I have this situation in my life. I had a conversation with somebody a few years ago, and they had a bunch of stuff going on in their life, and they had literally like four plans going. Well, if this don't work, then I'm doing this. And, and I said this. I said, look, can I give you some advice? Will you just do one thing? Just do one thing. How will you ever know that God showed up in your life if you've got all these contingency plans? Just do one thing. Just do one thing. Let God work. But we want to go out, we want to be busy, and we want to work all these things out. And Jehoshaphat said, no, here's what we're going to do, Judah. We're going to cry out to God, and we're going to do what we say. We're going to wait. You see, when we wait upon the Lord, our dependency, the next blank on your handout, our dependency increases. Because here's what happens. Here's what happened with Jehoshaphat. The army got closer. The longer they waited, the closer the army got. Do you see that picture? They're standing there like, um, uh, Jehoshaphat, um, they're like a thousand yards out now. And he's like, I know, but, but we're waiting on God. And they said, uh, hey, I hate to bother you again, but um, they're actually 800 yards out. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know, but we're waiting on God. Right? Do you get that picture? They're getting closer and clo and people are panicking. And Jehoshaphat says, no, we're waiting on God. No, we're, we're waiting on God. His dependency increased. Because what happens when you wait on God? The problem, guess what happens? It's longer and longer that it gets unresolved. Right? Oh, the mortgage is 15 days late, God. Hey, I'm waiting on you. Oh, now the mortgage is 30 days late, God, right? 
right? The problem seems to get bigger in our minds, in our carnal minds, the problem will get bigger, which causes what? Our dependency to increase. You see, when we wait on God, we become more dependent upon God. Number two, our expectation increases, right? Our expectation increases. We were having technical difficulties. I was coming out of the uh, upstairs earlier uh, tonight, and as I walked out, Pastor Tony, which you can thank him for fixing that, he doubles as an IT guy as well. Uh, he was getting it fixed, which he did, and uh, I said, must be something really good for us tonight, right? Our expectation increases. When we're dependent upon God, you're like, man, this is going to be good, right? I mean, think about it. Think about when you have been in the pit of despair and you joyfully declared dependence upon God and you expected God to do something and it kept getting worse and kept getting worse. You're like, man, this is going to be one for the ages, right? Boy, when he shows up, right, he, he could, he could cause a, you know, when they're a thousand yards away, maybe there's a windstorm. They're a thousand yards away, maybe there's a sandstorm. But when they're a hundred yards away, it's probably going to take like this deep ravine to swallow all of them, right? You see what I'm saying? And so when our dependency goes up, so does our expectation. And so we wait upon God in an anticipation of expectation of what he's going to do. Amen? So you got somebody that you've been praying for for years and for years and for years. And I don't know what, you know, what's going to happen. I, I hope that they get saved. But I would say this, keep praying because the, the worse their story gets, the greater the redemption. Amen? So our expectation increases. And then number three, our fears decrease. Our fears decrease. Because what happens is we come to grips with the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came to grips with. Hey, if this is the end, it's been a great ride. Right? If I'm going out, what a great way to go out. And so our fear starts to subside. You don't read in the story uh, in Daniel. You don't read in the story here with Jehoshaphat. You don't read in the story of David and Goliath. What do you read? Confidence. Hey, God's going to show up. Well, I serve Jehovah God. I serve the creator of the universe. I serve the sustainer of all that there is. I serve the sovereign Lord Jesus. My, I don't care who's on your side, buddy. I got Jesus, right? And so when we stand with God and we wait, our dependence goes up, our expectation goes up, and our fears go down. And so what happens in the story? Well, God shows up. Of course he does, right? So he sends them a word through the prophet. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord, verse 14, came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen. I mean, did he have to say that, right? Listen. I mean, everybody's on the edge of their seat. And he says, uh, excuse me, guys, uh, I have something to say. All Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. So I want you to, and we're not going to spend time on this, but I want to point this out. God is specific. God's not going to answer your prayer and not tell you about it. Okay? So he says, Jehoshaphat says, God, we depend upon you. And so uh, Jeh Jehaziel says, hey, King Jehoshaphat, you know that prayer that you just prayed? Um, this is what God said. And he says, thus says the Lord, don't be afraid. 
Don't be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Which, side note, my favorite song right now is Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham. Right? We sang it a couple weeks ago in here. The battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They're waiting again. Right? Wouldn't you think, no, if we're winning, I'm going tonight. I don't want to wait. I've been waiting. I've been terrified. I'm going right now. But no, he says, tomorrow, tomorrow go down. Behold, they will come up by the ascent. And so he tells them what to do and how it's going to happen. Don't be afraid. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head, verse 18, and his face to the ground. And all of Judah with the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, and they worshiped God. The Levites, the priests, all of them stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. It doesn't say that they all went swimming. It doesn't say that they went home to catch up on their latest television episode. It doesn't say that they did nothing. Because remember, they're not going until tomorrow. It says they praised. Now, I want, I, this is fascinating. So Jehaziel was a descendant of, and I just read it, of Asaph. Who was Asaph? He was appointed by King David, and he sang a lot of the Psalms. God sent somebody from Jehoshaphat's lineage through David, and he said, look, it's going to be okay. You see, when God speaks through Jehaziel, he gave them, number one, encouragement. He gave them encouragement. He said, the battle is not yours, it's God's. So he said, look, you don't have to do something that you're not equipped to do. The battle is God's. He'll take care of it. So he encouraged them. Number two, he gave them information. He says they'll come up by the end. So he told them what to do. God was very specific. And number three, he gave them instruction. And their response was they praised. They praised God. Their response was, God, we worship you. They didn't rush out into battle. They didn't go tell someone what had happened in their life. Listen, we don't have time for this. we got to finish. But here's what they didn't do. They didn't go to social media. Let me tell you how God spoke to me today. No, it was for them. God spoke to them. Right? It's okay to go on vacation with your family and not take pictures. It's okay to spend time with God and not declare all the amazing things. Right? That when God speaks to you, it can be for you. Because I think so many times we say, I want to hear, hear from God. I want God to do something in my life. And then God does something in our life. And then we run around and say, look at me. God did something in my life. Right? Instead of being content with the fact that you spent time with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that was enough. They worshiped. They worshiped God. They turned it back into praise. There's a song. It's an older song. It says, every blessing you pour out. I'll turn back to praise. The Moabites, the Ammonites, they ended up turning on each other, the Bible tells us, and they killed each other. The victory was so great that Judah spent three days gathering the spoils of victory. So what they did when God spoke to them is they didn't run around telling everybody about it. They worshiped. Now, obviously, the story is being told. I'm not saying don't declare the good things of God. I'm saying in the moment, our response should be worship. 
It says, the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Does that sound familiar? Remember Asa? It was the same way. So we're out of time. Let's go through our takeaways here tonight. Number one, unity for the believer only comes with those who possess the Spirit of God. You want unity? Well, it's going to be with fellow believers. Stop pursuing unity with people that don't follow God. I'm not saying be at enmity against them. I'm not saying that, that we're against. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying our allegiance and our alliances to the kingdom of God. And when Jehoshaphat pursued the kingdom of God... God was present. God was with him. When, when uh, Jehoshaphat pursued the things that were not aligned with God, it didn't work out. You can't have unity with someone that doesn't possess the Spirit of God. Number two, good and evil are both at the expense of God. So that ought to give you confidence that there's no plan that can be devised that God is not over. Good and evil are under the sovereignty of God. Number three, waiting on God is one of the most difficult yet most rewarding thing a believer can do. You say, well, Pastor Matt, how long should I wait? Until God answers. That could be a day, could be a week, could be a year, could be 10 years. I don't know the answer. Wait is very difficult. We don't like to wait, but waiting is indicative of us not being in control. And last but not least, knowing what to do is not always the answer. Knowing who to go to is. Knowing who to go to is. Jehoshaphat said, hey, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The most rewarding thing that we can do is to pursue God. So there's some dangers that we talked about tonight. I hope you get a chance to go back and think through and pray through some of the things that we talked about. I want to strongly encourage you to go back and specifically spend time thinking about and praying about your line. What is your line for you and your family? You need to go back, and and if you need to listen to the message, it'll be on the website. But I want you to think about that and pray about that because there are principles that God has called us to abide by by, for believers. And that's what, if this world needed anything today, it is for the people of God to stand on truth, uncompromising truth. Not truth that we came up with, truth that God declared. Amen? Jesus said he is the way, he is the truth. He is the life, and that's what we want to stand upon, not my thoughts or opinions, but on his. And so I want to, and and that's where we get uniformity. That's where we get unity in the body of, of Christ is God's word. That's where we get unity. This is where unity comes from. And so if we're ever going to make a change in the world in which we live, it will be because we unify under the standards of the scriptures of our holy God. Amen.